Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes in paperback, ebook, and Kindle format at Amazon, and 10 volumes in audio format at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. And folks... I just approved volume 11 in paperback. So that should be launching fairly soon. And then over the winter, I could work on recording the audio book. Looking forward to that. And without any further ado, let me introduce you to my co-host and blood brother, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Okay, I was telling you, it's a little cool rain coming down today. Same here. I I was racing my sailboat on Saturday out at the ocean, and it was like 75 degrees and sunny, but I think that's the end of it. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know, man. We'll see. I was cold sitting in my house today with a sweater on. Yeah, it's uh, the foreseeable week, the upcoming week, we're looking at highs in the 40s. Yeah, it's super wet here as well, down in North Carolina. Yeah, well. Cold rain, but it's good. If you're in a place in the world where there is no rain, you'd thank God for the rain. Well, and it has been pretty dry here. Like, I'm looking at my grass yesterday, and I'm like, man, my grass looks super dry. Wow. That's why. Yeah, we don't have that problem here. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and uh, some of the folks know who listen regularly. I did a little solo gig uh, the last podcast because Kev was busy. I, You know, Kev, I really don't care to do them because there's no interaction. You know Oh, I, I mean? know. It's not the same. It's not the no, same. But no. I figured and we'd give our fans a little something to nosh on while I was running around Las Vegas yeah. doing the work v- thing. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Did you watch the race? <laughs> I did, man, and freaking Verstappen pulled another one out of the hat, Holy man. Cow. But close race all the way across the board. And, folks, we're talking about the uh, Las Vegas F1 race. Yeah, uh, incredible. And that well, you were right, Kev, because you told me, oh, it's a good one, you know, before I had seen it on yeah. DVR. And it was a very good race with the twists and turns and the way things fell out and the strategies, you know. And it was close, all the way from the front to the back. I mean, pretty yeah. close, right? I think it was the closest of the year. Well, even at the end, when Leclerc was on Verstappen's tail, yeah, Perez overcame him, and then in like the last half mile or whatever it was, Leclerc took second. Yeah. So even that was uh, yeah. literally down to the wire. Very cool, man. And that track, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Las Vegas, folks, but 
they did an awesome job jamming that track into uh, the strip in Las Vegas. Yeah, some of the uh, local radio hosts around here, I shouldn't say some, one of them the other night was saying, hey, why can't Las Vegas can do it? Why can't we do something around New York or New Jersey? And uh, I, I don't know if that's possible. It would be. I think it is. If they can do it in Singapore, they could do it in Manhattan. But yeah, you would think. You would think, it, right? It takes a it takes a big sacrifice of the city to do it. But man, that would be spectacular. <laughs> it would be incredible, man. Yeah. Is what it would be. Yeah. But uh, so, what do we have in our cryptids in the news and other oddities? Well, before segment? we go there, I did okay. want to share with you that a certain nephew of yours is actually stomping around British Columbia this week hiking. No kidding. Yeah, he's been sending me pictures, walking around in the snow, looking at the glacial blue waters next to the snow. Pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope. Uh, <laughs> You never know what he's going to run into over there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's happy that the bears are sleeping. I don't know about the yeah. hairy man, though. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know how what I say. And, you know, I was talking about this the other day. Dave, I know you're out there listening. Uh, Dave and his logging crew uh, regularly are running across tracks over there in Oregon. So, mm. you know, uh, I have to... I always stay with my guns that uh, Bigfoot is alive and doing well, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But when you have people out there, uh, such as Dave and many others, uh, that are regularly finding uh, evidence relative to the creature, there is no decision to make as to whether or not this is real or not. uh, And they're seeing it. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. So here on Long Island, people are like, yeah. <laughs> well, they're seeing them too, but that's a different thing. Yeah. Well, they're seeing people with big feet and big mouths. <laughs> <laughs> they're not seeing Bigfoot. No. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, this week in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities. So this one's real strange, Bill. And I came across this. A couple of months ago, I was reading a newspaper or online magazine, and I saw this photograph of this beautiful bronze woman, you know, a, a nude bronze woman walking out of the sea with these huge cliffs that reach up into the clouds behind her. Hmm. And I was like, what, man, where is that? statue like I've never seen that before and then I took a closer look at it and she's holding something in her left hand that looks like the head of a seal Hmm. like a sea lion and And this was a statue yeah it's a bronze statue I'll put it uh, I'll put the photograph the beautiful photograph under our episodes on bigfoottearinthewoods.com under this episode podcast 224 and folks, you got to check it out. I mean, it's a uh, beautiful bronze and uh, in a beautiful setting that I had never seen before. So I was like, all right, I got to figure out what this is. Mm-hmm. And it turns out this is a bronze of a creature called a selkie. S E L K I E. Okay. Have you ever heard of these? No, no. Yeah, me neither. So these creatures are. Um, uh, believed to be shape-shifting creatures that are seals in the ocean. And when they come out of the ocean, they can take off their seal skin 
and they become a human. What a bizarre... But, you know, here we go again with the shapeshifters. You know, uh, we talk about shapeshifters fairly frequently. And here you have these cultural things. How true are they? We don't know. We have no way to know. But the shapeshifting, it's got to be something... uh, Yeah, and it's in multiple cultures. So this statue, first off, is in the Faroe Islands. Okay. Um, in the North Atlantic and the Faroe Islands, I, you know, of course I had heard of them, but I had to look up exactly where they are. They're basically halfway between Norway and Iceland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these, this legend of the Selkies exists in uh, Nordic culture, uh, through Scandinavia, with the Scottish, uh, with the Icelandians, um, the Irish... So all around the North Atlantic there, mm-hmm. everyone has something related to uh, this Selkie legend. Mm-hmm. They spell it different ways and things like that. And Selkie, the word derives apparently from the Scottish word for seal. Hmm. So like a, a seal person. So the, the statue is located in the F- Faroe Islands somewhere. Faroe Islands. It's on an island. I'm going to try to pronounce this, called Mikladalur. Okay. So M-I-K-L-A-D-A-L-U-R. All right. So they're trying to to convey that this woman coming out of the water, holding the seal's head, has converted from seal into... Yeah, it's basically a seal skin, including the head. And if you look closely at her feet, they look like seal flippers. Ah, okay, I got you now. Yeah. So she's like transforming, taking this seal skin off. Unbelievable. And we're going to get into some of these uh, stories about them. So Yeah, and it's interesting again, though, Kev, that these cultures over there, you know, I think about St. Patrick walking through Ireland and talking to people who were involved in a lot of weird stuff when he came marching through, you know, yeah, uh, and others like him. You know, even our own uh, subculture in Norway, uh, these people had a lot of strange beliefs over there, you know. Yeah. And uh, you wonder what all they were involved in culturally or multiple different things they were involved in, like the Vikings, Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, they were, uh, who knows what they were dabbling in, knowing or unknowingly. Oh, yeah. Brutal culture, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely brutal culture. Some of but our go relatives ahead. Go ahead. there, Bill. What's that? Some of our relatives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still brutal. The Viking clan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's it to you? Let me hit you yeah, with a broadsword. <laughs> I got this here new axe I just finished. Exactly. Let me see how it swings. (laughs) So these Selkies are going to sound in some ways similar to other cryptids that we've talked about over the last few years. So, And that is that they have a dual nature. They can either be helpful to humans or horrible to humans. Hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and they're often depicted as being attractive and seductive in human form, 
And many stories, believe it or not, involve Selkies having romantic relationships with humans, sometimes resulting in children. Ugh. Yeah, and these these Selkies uh, can be tricked into marrying humans, and there's many stories about this. I'm going to touch on a couple of them. Usually by someone who steals and hides their seal skin. And without their seal skin, they can't go back into their home in the ocean. Oh, that's freaking strange. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And, and these marriages, of course, are often very unhappy because the Selkie always longs to go back to the ocean, which is their primary home. But they can't find their skin, so therefore they can't go back into the water. And, you know, this sounds really weird, but when you think about it, so these Selkies, you know, were believed to come ashore uh, onto, like, the rocks, where, like, this statue is, take off their seal skin and leave it, like, you know, on the edge of the water or in a cave or whatever, and then go on to the land in a human form. And then somebody would find their skin and take it. So then when they came back to the water to go back in, they couldn't go into the water because their skin was gone. And of course, their skin would be something valuable. You know, if you were walking along the beach, you know, that long ago, you would pick up the skin and use it. Yeah, you could make... Uh tunic out of it or uh, yeah, whatever no doubt about it hmm. so you know pretty interesting and there are male selkies as well as females so the male selkies are described as being very handsome in their human form and having great seductive powers over human women hmm. and they they typically would seek those women that were dissatisfied with their lives such as married women waiting for their fishermen husbands Hmm. Right. Yeah. What does this remind you of? You know where mine goes. Mine, mine goes immediately. Kev. <laughs> Freaking some evil afoot here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Shape shifting. You know. Yeah, taking advantage of you know people uh, in a weak state or yep. weakened state. You know, it's always the way. Yeah. And here we go, Bill. Into your what you're talking about. According to one version of the Selkie legend, the Selkie could only assume human form once every seven years because mm. their bodies house condemned souls. Ugh. And there's a notion that they're either humans who have committed sinful wrongdoing or fallen angels. Yeah, there's something demonic going on here, man. Yeah. And even the fact that they used the number seven. Yeah. You know, seven is a divine number, uh, and seven represents uh, completion. So when you hear these numbers, uh, three, seven, eight, uh, these numbers have significant uh, meaning in uh, uh, Christianity in particular. I can't speak for any other uh, religions, but in Christianity, they have significant meanings. And the fact that they come up here with the number seven every seven years yeah. uh, indicates to me right out of the gate that there's some type of mimicry uh, going on here using that number. Mm. Well, we're going to get but more numbers coming up here. All right, go ahead. So a famous Selkie story from the Faroe Islands is the legend of Copa Conanen. And Copacananan literally meaning seal woman. 
The story tells of a young farmer from the village of Mikladalor, so that's the place where the statue is, who after learning about the local legend that the seals could come ashore and shed their skins once a year on the 13th night, goes to sea for himself. While laying in wait, the man watches as many seals swim ashore. He continues to watch, and they shed their skin to reveal their human forms. The farmer takes the skin of a young selkie woman who, unable to return to the water without her skin, is forced to follow the young man back to his farm and become his wife. The two stay together for many years, even producing several children. The man locks the selkie woman's skin in a chest, keeping the key to the lock on his person at all times, so his wife may never gain access. However, one day the man forgets his key at home and comes back to the farm to find that his selkie wife has taken her skin and returned to the ocean. Later, when the farmer is out on the hunt, he kills the selkie woman's selkie husband and two selkie sons. Enraged, the selkie woman promises vengeance for her lost kin. She exclaims that some shall be drowned, some shall fall from the cliffs and slopes, and this shall continue until so many men have been lost that they will be able to link arms around the whole island of Kalsoy. Deaths that occur on the island are thought to be due to the selkie woman's curse to this day. What a freaking strange brew that is! <laughs> uh, what what year are we talking about that this uh, purported? They, you know, they happened? don't put dates on it, but that has to be relatively modern, I would say. You know, mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the last thousand years or so, right? And do we know how? Have any idea how many people have died in such fashion? No, but I'm sure it's a dangerous place too. You know what I mean? Like when you mm-hmm. see the picture with these cliffs, they got to be like two thousand feet running down to the ocean. Wow! In a very harsh place. Yeah, yeah. What a bizarre, bizarre, pretty bizarre. Story. I mean, I had never heard of these, and again, I came across it where I saw this picture of the statue, and I was like, "What the heck is that?" Mm-hmm. So. Very bizarre, the Selkies. That is the Selkies, Bill. And you're posting uh, the picture of this... Oh, yeah, uh, the bronze statue in front of these cliffs climbing out of the water. It, it's super cool. It's a, You know, it's a beautiful piece of art, even mm-hmm. though the story's super creepy. Yes, yeah, so why does it have to always be super creepy, you know? Well, you know, that's what we, could, that's what we do here, Bill. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the creep, the creep is always creeping in. It is a creep fest, of course. <laughs> and by the way, folks, if you're unfamiliar with our podcast or a first-time listener, we do this segment in the beginning called "Cryptids in the News" and other oddities. So there's a lot of strange things that can come across the table in the first segment, and then I dive into, which I'm about to typically. An account or encounter with the Bigfoot creature somewhere around the globe. Yeah, not and, always Bigfoot, sometimes Dogman. Yeah, I haven't brought Dogman to the table lately, and I do, I could. We uh, want Dogman. <laughs> not literally. I don't want him looking in my window yeah. here. No, 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 no. It's pretty no, dark no. out there. I don't need him looking in. Yeah, Dogman is a nasty bastard, to say the least. 
<laughs> you know, and uh, but if you're done, Kev, I'm going to dive done. into this. So this report came to me from a retired executive uh, now living in western Kentucky by the name of Tom Hedges. And uh, this is his story. As part of an upward move within the company in which I was employed, a major shipping firm whose offices are located in Kentucky, I relocated to my current home. Through a local Masonic Lodge, I became acquainted with a group of men who were starting to form a cattle consortium designed to raise black Angus cattle for the retail food market. I had expressed some interest in learning about what their plans were as well as what might be involved in becoming a partner. After a number of meetings and discussions, each of the four starting members would be required to put up $250,000 for a total of $1 million of startup capital. Now, there is so much involved here that I could talk about. Suffice to say, we were partnering with some farmers to make use of their pastures and fields in the form of a lease so that we could raise our cattle on them. It was quite an enterprise to get started, but once all of the dots were connected, we started on the road to profitability profitability and rather quickly. All of these guys, myself included, had a fair amount of business savvy. Even if we hadn't achieved success, we could have sold off our stock with no problem whatsoever, since the market for Black Angus Angus was exceptional in nature. I had cashed out much of my corporate stock to fund my end of the venture, and at that time in my life, I was about six years away from my projected retirement and thought this would be a great future investment. It turns out it was. But the story actually began seven years later, when I was already a year into retirement. And one of these ranchers whose farm we were leasing had begun to show a few losses of our cattle. It started as some calves coming up missing, with some of them being found in the woods, badly mauled and partially eaten. As time went on, other larger cattle were being found in the pastures, with enormous wounds and flesh torn out of their hides. We, that is the partners, had all gone out personally to survey the damage that was being done to the livestock. It was a general suspicion at the time that a bear or perhaps even a cougar was the culprit, which would probably have to be shot to stop the mayhem. The farmer decided to hire a local hunter to both stake out and protect the herd. The herd on his farm alone, representing at the time almost a million dollars. And when you lose one of these animals to a predator, it's a big hit to the pocket, both now and into the future. Now, it's not like these incidents had occurred within a week's time. They had been observed over a period of many months. Two of these attacks had resulted in mutilation and death and the others in injury to a still-living animal. Our hired hand was patrolling the pastures on horseback, 
making it virtually impossible for him to be everywhere at once. And even after hiring this gentleman, one mature female and another calf had still been taken under his watch. Both were found in the woods, partially eaten. One of the oddities was that none of the fences had been taken down or damaged in any way, which would indicate that something had breached it. Whatever was doing this had either come over the fence and went back over the fence, or or had come over the fence and went back over the fence, carrying hundreds of pounds with it, all while doing no apparent damage to the fence in the process. To date, all that the hand had seen was some bobcats and a couple of coyotes, none of which were capable of inflicting the carnage on the herd. One night in the fall, the hand had planned to ride the pastures up until about midnight. Upon our request, he was mixing up his shifts a bit in hopes of catching whatever was killing the cattle. On this day, he was riding through one pasture, heading over to check on another herd. Suddenly, he heard an uproar from the herd he had left some ten minutes earlier. He turned his horse around and galloped back and was shocked to see the herd huddled in one end of the pasture as he came over the hill. He immediately began to survey this pasture and his eyes became fixed on a large mass in the middle that was not moving. As he approached the mass, he realized that he was looking at the bull lying on the grass. He began to circle it, but his horse started to buck, unwilling to continue into the area. He now dismounted to discover the grim reason why the bull had been lying there. Its head had been torn from its body, and this head was nowhere to be seen. He went back to the house to tell the owner of his discovery, after which they took the pickup truck and a floodlight and headed back out into the pasture together. When they got upon the scene, they saw something incredible. The bull's head had been torn from the shoulders, including its spinal column. It had been ripped off, not severed. This was a strong, viable bull and the most important animal in the pasture. It was through his prowess that the herd continued to grow, and they could not begin to even guess what he had been what could have been capable of such a thing. He, the bull that is, was worth his weight in gold, and now he was dead. A decision had to be made about how we were going to deal with this dilemma moving forward. To date, the losses were mounting into the tens of thousands of dollars with no end in sight. Either whatever was doing this was going to be killed, or we would abandon this particular pasture land and move our herds elsewhere. So we devised a plan to stake out the acreage with as many armed men as we thought might be needed to kill the beast that was attacking the herd. In the end, we hired 13 men. Each was to be stationed in a different area and all would be in contact via radio. We were now fully committed to killing this monstrosity. Of the 13 men, seven had night vision sights on their guns. The pastures were staked out for some three weeks, but
but nothing happened. And it was on the 23rd night of 24-hour stakeouts that one of the men over the radio reported something running across the pasture on all fours, which to him looked like a massive bear. Moments later, he was heard saying, Oh my God, it's standing on two legs and walking toward the herd. It's gigantic. Seconds later, the sound of two rifle shots broke the silence of the night as he started shouting, I got it! I got it! Everyone started to converge on that end of the pasture. When the hunter suddenly started shouting into the radio that the beast was running towards the fence line. The search continued throughout the night for whatever he had shot, but nothing had been found. He said he had been able to see it clearly in the night vision scope. It was some type of massive furry beast that walked like a man after running through most of the pasture like a bear. He said that when it was on its feet nearing the herd, he could see that it was at least twice the height of the cattle's backs. After the men had given the search their all, they called the police, with nothing being found until two days later. On the local news, it was reported that a motorist had seen what she described as a dead Bigfoot on the side of the highway. After hearing the report, we had made calls to the police department, but they denied there being any Bigfoot found. They said that she had seen a dead black bear and nothing more. As it turns out, after our man had put two rounds into the giant hairy beast that night, and after the woman said she saw a dead Bigfoot on the roadside, our problem seemed to end rather abruptly. Not a single head of cattle was ever injured or found dead in that pasture land after that date. What do you make of that, Kev? Coincidence? Nah. Nah. I don't <coughs> think so. So... I thought I would break that out uh, because obviously you're not reading it now. In volume 12, uh, I just append uh, an account from my new friend, Neil. Neil, hello out there, down in Georgia, in which a large feral hog, estimated to be about the 300-pound range, had its head ripped off. And, uh, you know, talking to another listener in the podcast, he said to me, we're talking about pig skin. Do you know how hard it would be to tear the head off of a large hog Mm. or any hog? And here we're talking about the head of a bull. Yeah, an uh, getting, Angus bull. Like that, getting, that's like tearing the front of a car off. I mean, just incredible. Yeah. Just power and strength beyond yeah, no, compare. I, I, I don't even know. Like, how do you, even in a rage, like, ah, No, I can't imagine. <coughs> just incredible strength, you know. Mm. But, uh, again, other than what the man saw in his scope, nobody else saw what he saw. Right. 
But he said it approached originally in what we would call all fours, on all fours, uh, him thinking it was a big bear. Right. And uh, Well, it makes sense. I mean, that's the first thing you'd think of, right? Yeah. Especially if it was on all fours. Yeah, and I have said many times, maybe not so much on the podcast, but to other people I've spoken to, that my belief, based on the way they walk, this inline pattern of stepping, uh, and the fact that a lot of people see them down on all fours, like this spider crawl, it indicates to me that their bony anatomy around the hips and the knees uh, in order to accomplish that, has to be way different than ours. Yeah. Because our hips are what is known as a ball and socket joint. The knees are what we call a hinge joint. Uh, they can't move in the way the the knee can't move like the hip, and the hip can't move like the knee. But to be able to fold your legs out and then, like, at your what we would call our knees down there would have to be some type of mechanism in place there and supporting muscle and tendon to allow such a thing to happen. And what that would be, I have no idea. But if it is true that they can go down and come up, something's got to be vastly different uh, in those two areas of the body for them to do that. No doubt about it, yeah. You know. Wild. I mean, the the arms, I could see the arms being able to go down in front of them and with strength and uh, dexterity being able to pull off uh, four, four, four-legged four appearance or even fast movement. Uh, but something with the back legs would have to give or what would be the the legs of a bipedal creature would have to give in a different way. So it's interesting, Kev. There you have it. No, that's wild. And where was that, Bill? Kentucky. Kentucky. Wow. Now he didn't. He didn't say if the pasture land was in Kentucky. Right. He was living in Kentucky, and got involved with some guys who were investing in uh, the raising of uh, black Angus uh, cattle for you know for the meat market. You know. Right. And so, who knows? It could have been freaking Oklahoma or Texas. It could have been anywhere. I don't know. Fair. So, uh, interesting. Very interesting. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, there you have it, man. Wild account, man. So, what do we have in our listener mail today? Yes, our third half of the show (laughs) includes our (laughs) listener mail. (laughs) We got a couple of uh, good uh, emails here. So, the first one comes from Ron. In Pennsylvania. And the subject is Minnesota Iceman. Hmm. And he says, guys, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So naturally, I heard your Minnesota Iceman episode. I'm a 1974 graduate of St. Mary's University in Minnesota. I have photos I took at Frank Hansen's home just outside of Rolling Stone, Minnesota, which is only a short drive from Winona. Three of us visited him in the dead of the winter of 1972, hoping to have a look-see at the Iceman. Hmm. We never did get to see the Iceman, but were treated to Frank's hospitality, as well as an account of how he came to have this hairy man. 
If you're interested, I have photos that I can email you. Have a great day, guys, and keep up the good work. And now, yes, Ron, we do want to see the photos. Yeah, now I believe I had contacted Ron, like, yeah, and I haven't heard from him. Yeah. So, Ron, if you're still out there and you're listening to this podcast, uh, you have it. Go to BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And I'm actually going to give you, once you go in there, I'm going to give you another email address where you could send these pictures. We'd love well, to yeah, see Well, yeah, maybe them. Bill just reply to his email and send him your address. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, he already pinged us, so. Yeah, 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 so no doubt about it. I think I did reach out to him, but I hadn't heard from okay. him. But, uh, man, that happens all the time, and I'm willing to keep going with it. So. Oh, yeah. And, Kev, you know, isn't it interesting? You know, it's been a number of people that, uh, have responded back to that Iceman thing. It's interesting how many people had seen that thing or had some type of I think of it's super cool, but not surprising. You know, this yeah. thing was legendary. And, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that and we did that episode a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, years yeah. ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's going back a ways. But, but a it's lot a good of people, one. People a- who remember all the people who wrote in and said that they their parents dragged them to the local mall to see the Iceman display. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I mean, that was a traveling show. Yeah, I mean, I used to go and look at tools at Sears. <laughs> we never got to see the Iceman. But... <laughs> maybe Santa Claus. Yeah, maybe Santa Claus. I could never figure out how there could be more than one Santa Claus in the mall at one time. That's Christmas magic. <laughs> That's a ripoff. Christmas magic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mad. Embrace the magic. Embrace the magic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kev, did I ever tell you? I was working for this guy one winter, and we were building the Tri-County Flea Market in Smithtown. Right. And uh, when the place was done, it was coming right up on the fall. And this wealthy guy who was financing the place uh, was saying that he needed somebody to be Santa Claus. So guess who volunteered? You. Yeah. Really? So I was wandering around the aisles dressed up as a Santa Claus with big fat, you know, belly and you a sure white you weren't beard. dressed up as Krampus? Yeah, no, it was Santa Claus. Uh, and Did you growl at people? <laughs> Kev, do you remember the Craigs that li- lived around the corner on yeah. Ballatin? Yeah. Okay, so Mrs. Craig comes walking down the aisle ahead of me <laughs> uh, with the little boy. I don't know how old the little guy was at the time, maybe six, seven years old. I'm fully dressed in this Santa gig, and the little kid takes one look at me and says, Mommy, there's Billy Sheehan. <laughs> and I said to myself, how on earth did this kid know it was me? Did you give him a bag of coal? Nah, but I kicked him in the shins and said, beat it, kid. Beat it, kid. <laughs> hey, Santa Claus doesn't talk like that. Krampus uh, does. <laughs> hey, Mom, a- who's Krampus? <laughs> Never mind, son. Move along. <laughs> That's a shape-shifting Santa. He becomes Krampus. Don't worry about the goat horns. (laughs) So, speaking of Krampus, 
Kathleen J. writes in, and she says, some people call her KJ, too. Hmm. And she says, hello, my favorite podcast. I enjoy your stories so much that I often listen to them again and again. Mm -hmm. I live in somewhat conservative central Ohio. There has been a huge Halloween adventure for several years, and this year I saw this sign on a billboard. Kevin, did you send your neighborly Krampus up here to scare us? <laughs> I'm not one who visits adventures such as this. So you or your brother will have to make a short trip here if you want pictures and a report of the experience. <laughs> keep on keeping on. Thank you all for all of the hard work preparing for and taping the broadcast. AJ. And uh, <laughs> she sent me a link to fearcolumbus.com slash Krampus. And it is a creep fest, Bill. And KJ, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, even if you're around the corner, I'm not sure I would go into that creep fest. <laughs> Keep the creep to yourself. Because it's pretty serious. And those goat horns, they turn me off. Yeah. Yeah, as well they should. Exactly. <laughs> That's something in your inner warning system saying, exactly. stay away. Watch out for the goat horns. Yeah, yeah. Fear the goat. That's part of that psychology I always talk about. If you feel something weird, get out. Especially if somebody has goat horns on. Yeah, hi. I'm just no, looking no. for I'm looking for a ride to Seattle. Can or you accommodate me? Or somebody shows me? up at the door with completely black eyes. Yeah, even, Unle even yeah, if, unless you've given them the black eyes. Well, that's a different kind of black eye. <laughs> but it, even if they just say, "Hi, I just like to borrow your telephone." Hi, <laughs> do you mind letting me in? I'll I can see you there. looking at me through your ring ring doorbell. <laughs> oh, maybe I gave myself away saying that I can see back through the ring doorbell. <laughs> what are you baking in the oven? Mm. <laughs> All right, Bill, our last email comes uh -huh. in from one of the most beautiful places in the world, from Missy from Kenai, Alaska. Mm -hmm. She says, hello for the first time. First, let me say that I've been listening to your show for over two years now, and I absolutely love it. When I can't sleep, I replay old episodes and your voices help me relax and drift off. I'm not sure that's good, Missy, so wake up! <laughs> I love all of the info that you guys give. KJ, I love the cryptids. Thank you, they're amazing. WJ, your voice soothes me and makes me happy. <laughs> I live in Kenai, Alaska. KJ, I love the picture of you and the salmon on the website. Heck yeah. <laughs> Did you stay at the Salmon Catcher Lodge by chance? No, it wasn't a Salmon Catcher Lodge, but I'll have to try that next time, Missy. Anyway, I really wanted to get to the point after I tell you how much I love you guys. Season four of Bigfoot Expedition is irritating the crap out of me. From the first three episodes, they looked at chewed-off stumps that are obviously beavers chewing off logs to make their dams. Sorry, they make their damn dams. Um, those <laughs> damn beavers making damn dams. 
The upside down tree is crap evidence. I think that was the loggers. There's so much better evidence on Prince Wales Island than they're showing in the first three episodes that I've seen so far. And by the way, mm-hmm. Missy probably knows that because she lives up there. Yeah. I yeah. really expected more from these guys. The heat-seeking night vision, it was obviously a wolf. There are Bigfoot in Alaska. I have no doubt of that. But the first two and three episodes of Bigfoot Expedition on season four make it look like we're a bunch of blank, blank, blank idiots. The hair <laughs> samples so far are the only thing I'm impressed by. Also, talking to locals in Alaska is more likely to get you killed than help you find a Bigfoot. <laughs> That's hysterically. Now, I got to tell you, Kev, you had no way of knowing this. I was talking to Missy the other day. Really? And uh, we're trying to get together on a time when she can report to me a Bigfoot encounter she had in the area of... Uh, uh, Priest Lake. Oh, I've and been to Priest uh, Lake. what would be uh, what would it be now? Northern Idaho. Northern Idaho North- Priest Lake. I've been there. Right, and Northern Montana. Yeah, she had some things going on in there, and I actually called her today and left a message. Uh-huh. So, but they're four hours behind us, yeah. and she works like a night shift. So it's going to be a weird juggling routine uh, uh, to try to get together with her. But we're going to get it done somehow, some way. That is awesome. Well, Missy, thank you so much for writing in. Um, And she says she's going to order some books for Christmas this year. I will need some signed copies so I could send them to KJ since his brother won't just (laughs) give them. (laughs) Missy, thanks for looking out for me. I know know a lot of you listeners are, but it's still good to hear. Now, I got to tell you how some of these Alaskan women are. When I spoke to Missy the other day, she got off work and was helping her friend with his snowplow business. And they had 18 inches of snow and ice. And then she sent me a couple of pictures of this commercial building where they had to track off of a... what do they call those? Not we call them a bobcat. She she called it a skid steer. Okay. And uh, so here she is. I guess she's turning wrenches on freaking track machines, <laughs> drive plowing snow. I mean, talk about a woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to up there, Bill. Well, I guess so. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. You know, you got to do what you got to do, no matter who you are. Got to do what you got to do. Every man or woman for themselves. No doubt about it. <laughs> so, Missy, I hope I talk to you before you hear this podcast. Uh, but if not, you know where to get me. It's all good. Thank you, Missy. Yep. Thanks for writing in. Thanks to everyone for listening, too. We love hearing from you. We love those five-star reviews, too. And we especially love those written reviews. They kind of give us a way to recharge our batteries hearing how much you love the podcast. Of course, if you hate the podcast, don't write any reviews. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, make sure you don't have a a mouthful of schnapps when you're reviewing our podcast, having listened to another one. (laughs) Oh, that's true. We do get some people that criticize our podcast when they obviously listen to somebody else's podcast. Something else. (laughs) 
<laughs> that makes you're us re- laugh. Yeah, that, that's yeah. good Good fun entertainment, but we don't you, really need that. You read the Reader's Digest, and you're, re- you're reviewing an article in Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I have one more before I got to head home. <laughs> and by the way, don't send that email to your boss either. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, Missy is correct. Uh, Prince of Wales is rife. Oh, yeah. With uh, Bigfoot activity. Yeah. And uh, it stands to reason when you see the lay of the land up there and everything else, I mean. No doubt about it. Jeez, this is like the land of the lost, you know. (laughs) But listen, folks, if you should find yourself walking through the woods... Virtually anywhere, for that matter. You best remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.